to the wonderfully named Philip Hewitt Jabur Lecture Theatre. Uh, and I think we at the RA would just like to say how very much we miss Philip. And uh, we hope that there will be many wonderful events in this lecture theatre in his memory. Um, my name is Rebecca Lyons. I am the Director of Collections and Learning at the Royal Academy of Arts in London. And it's my absolute pleasure. <laughs> That's very nice. I'm, I'm not the one to clap. The one to clap is sitting beside me here. Um, I'm absolutely thrilled that Mally Morris, um, Royal Academician, has joined us this evening for this conversation. Mally has been a Royal Academician. <laughs> For well over a decade now, in fact, when I joined the Royal Academy, Mally was in the midst of having a solo show there. She was exhibiting in our tenant gallery. Mally, you had also curated just the most interesting selection of things, objects from the Royal Academy mm. collections, because we don't just have prints and paintings and sculptures, we've got artists' materials, we have all sorts of things, and Mally had really delved in there and brought her imagination and creativity to curating as, as well as to creating. Um, I'm going to stop talking in a minute and start asking <laughs> Mally to talk to us, but I just wanted to say as well that um, as, as a first encounter at the Royal Academy, that was such a wonderful one. Mally was so generous with her time in the amount of time that she uh, invested in our learning programmes and in education, in talking to students, in um, really helping uh, lots of people to understand her work and her selection of choices. She was also a fantastic chair of the Learning Committee as well at the Royal Academy and someone who um, was a much valued voice on the editorial board of the magazine, which was another place where we, we met, met Mally, wasn't yeah, it? And it we was, had yeah. some, some nice sympathies uh, around uh, some of those topics. So I'm, I'm really delighted that we're going to be talking tonight in conversation. We've got a few prompts, but we thought we'd try to be reasonably free-flowing. We've chosen a couple of images, but haven't, you'll be pleased to know, created a PowerPoint presentation. We're not going to do that. <laughs> but if you have been walking down Bond Street, then you will have seen how Mally's flags are brightening the area, lifting the whole uh, kind of environment around Piccadilly. Um, and so we did think we'd start just by looking. It's very topical for us as Londoners. Mally, there it is in Bond Street. Shall we just plunge in? Do you want to say yes, a bit yes, about this let's. commission? Or? Well, th thank you for that warm introduction. Thank you. Um, so this, the, the flags here, some of you have seen them, I know. You've mentioned it. Um, so it, it, was, um, it was quite short notice, which sometimes is, is good, because <laughs> you, you don't fret and sort of overthink things. And um, I'd seen last year's and the years before and so knew the extent of Bond Street. And um, when I was asked to do it, I, at first, actually, I thought it wasn't, wasn't for me, um, because, um, uh, well, I, I put in a, a statement somewhere that um, the process to get to paintings is, very, is quite complex and so sometimes awkward. 
And although I do end up with, I hope, some clarity in the, in the painting, they're never designed. And this seemed to be like a design job. Um, mm. But then I, so I said, well, let me think about it. And, and I, so I went home to think about it. And uh, my partner, Steve, who probably knows me better than I know myself, said, of course you do it. Mm. <laughs> and uh, um, he, he knows that I, I, I do actually love um, flags and bunting and kites and things that are up in the air. Um, and so, um, so I set about um, thinking what I could do. And uh, I knew that there would be three across and 11 rows down. And it seemed sensible just to have three designs rather than 33. Um, and that those three could be alternated mm -hmm. in a fairly random way. And I tried quite a few different possibilities um, of kind of ideas that I'd had in recent paintings, but none of them seemed quite right. So in the end, it suddenly dawned on me that there was a series I'd made, um, I think it was 2013, that was called the Ashbury series. Quite a few paintings, some small, some big. Um, and they might work because there was this, um, a kind of, I call it a lattice, that dark, brushy lattice across the, the bright-coloured checkerboard. And that would link the three across um, so that they wouldn't be three very separate things. But, and then in the paintings that I make, either on canvas or paper, when the dark lattice brush mark is put across, when it's still wet, I clear away to get at the colour underneath. So the circles that you see are actually the colours that are buried under that dark colour. So they're not circles put on, <laughs> they're, mm -hmm. they're sort of excavated. Revealed. And revealed, mm. exactly. And, how, and I was hoping, how do you do that, Mally? Um, well, in, in, in ca on the canvases <coughs> and, mm -hmm. and on paper, um, with a, a, a round sponge mm. to start it off anyway, sort of, that sort of manoeuvre, mm -hmm. and then clear the edges and mm -hmm. sort of clean the edges. But the surface has to be very um, smooth, um, otherwise it, the cleaning, it wouldn't, it wouldn't clear cleanly. It's, it has to be a bit like a, a window or an ice rink or something so that the paint comes off cleanly. Um, and I, I, it was something I'd been interested in for a long time, this burying colour to, in order to rather perversely cover it up and then find it again. Um, so because it sort of combined a very deliberate composition with a certain element of risk or mm. randomness. So this format seemed to me to have possibilities. So I made um, three... The paintings actually were nearly always close to square, but these obviously needed to be this format, mm. the flag format. And um, so I made um, a few and got the three that I wanted. I mean, to go into some detail, the, um, the open end is on the le left-hand side of that one and that one, but not on that one. So I was sort of playing around a lot with symmetry and asymmetry and wanted the yellows and the reds, the circles, to sort of bounce along down the, down the street. 
Um, and they, those were eventually okayed by the people that needed to check them, that there was nothing political or pornographic about them, <laughs> which, which there obviously there isn't. There are quite strict rules, aren't <laughs> there, for true. street and, and, commissions. And um, the, then um, they were photographed by very expertly... Um, Matt, the, the wonderful designer at the RA, said he'd never seen such excellent photographs um, in great detail. And um, then he warned me that um, that process in, in colour reproduction relies on the mixing of three colours. But when it goes to the people that make the flags, that digitally print them on the fabric, it's a four-colour way. I knew nothing about the science of this, what I do now. And he said, we, you might be disappointed with the blues and the greens because it, it can dull them down. And we asked for a sample and indeed it had done. But he said, don't worry because it's the yellows and the reds not only survive, they're often even brighter. So I thought, but I didn't know until I went to see them when they were up how it would work. So that it, that it was rather nerve-wracking. And, uh, but then when I did see them, they looked pretty much like the things I'd made in the studio. Yeah. I mean, what I've always loved about your work, I mean, lots of things that I love about it, I've always loved its bold colour. But I love that um, construction of space through colour. And I feel that actually, although... There's always that sense, isn't there, that like looking at a slide or a reproduction, you're not looking at the real thing. Actually, you do get a sense of the brush mark here. You do get the sense of that. Well, I'm really um, pleased to hear that. In, in the I was actually very um, uh, <coughs> kind of insistent, I suppose, mm. that, that that transparency of the brush mark, would, mm. I kept saying it will come across, won't it? It will, you know, it will, mm. will show, because if it was too dense... It, somehow would flatten everything out mm. and if it wasn't dense enough it would not work either so um and that in painting that that um construction of well luminosity um and space is it, it's it's always of real central interest to me mm. yeah well, it's 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 certainly it's a, a beautiful presence in in Bond Street well, at thank the moment. You. <laughs> um, thank you. I I mean I, I wondered as well when we we spoke a, a bit in in preparation of this something that had also really interested me those brush strokes they they are bold and and they're visible but you talk a lot about um, touch rather than gesture is there can you talk a little bit about that difference um, yes I think um, I mean a lo lot of the things that are sort of conscious in my mind c come with hindsight really it's not something that I necessarily know about and then try to put into practice but um, th th there were, I mean there are always periods when um, somehow you come to not exactly the end of a road but you, you're reassessing things and um, I think that it may, um, when would it be the 80s? Though I was I was brought up in a tradition of abstract painting, mm. both British and American, and the the gesture was very prevalent. And um, there was something about that that I personally wanted to challenge, not for the sake of history, but for for myself. <laughs> and um, I found that. Um, 
I was sort of more interested in what, what touch was about rather than gesture. Mm -hmm. So you see what I'm doing with my hands, although this is not visually recorded, but <laughs> we're, we're on radio, as it yes. were. Um, so um, a touch, to me, um, when, it, when, the, when the stuff on the brush, if that's what you're using, reaches the surface, um, and where it lands or where you want it to go, it opens up the space in a kind of, I don't know, a gentler way or a more open way, mm. whereas gesture is more um, dogmatic, sort of telling you where, to, where it's going, where mm. the, the energy is different. Mm. Um, and um, so I, I suppose I just sort of absorbed that realisation and... Mm. Uh, from then on, um, I, I suppose directness has always been uh, um, the way I do things in, in handling. Mm -hmm. Not not every bit of every painting, but but I do like um, a direct approach. Um, and um, realizing what I'd realized about touch meant that it opened up sort of more possibilities in in, in a way in terms of form and. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like it. I like it because I think we so often associate that kind of period of gesture as being this sort of male way of claiming canvases and of kind of the... the, the, the I'm not suggesting that a woman doesn't have the right to that, but it seems to have aligned itself with a very kind of male period. The macho and, thing. The macho, yeah. you know, mark-making. Mm. Um, and I, I, I find the, the idea, perhaps just find the idea of touch more, more inclusive, more um, exploratory. Yeah. Um, but no less bold. Um, I mean, I, I wondered about the viewer. It, it might amuse you to know that one of the first questions that I asked Mally was, like, how important is the viewer? Because I feel the viewer is so uplifted by these works. You know, how important is the viewer in your mind when you're creating? And Mally went, not really. No. <laughs> a, a happy byproduct. And I love that. I want to hold That's on true. to that. A happy byproduct is that we love looking at it. But for you, it's the practice of painting, isn't it? It, it, it is. Um, because in a way, you know, I, I'm my first audience, as it were. Mm. So um, I'm trying it all out for somebody, but that somebody is me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, I, I couldn't second guess how anybody else's eyes or psyche might respond. Mm -hmm. um, but I suppose um, you just hope that um, other human beings will have something in common with, with you as a human being, mm -hmm. and, and you just hope. And so when people respond, I mean, people respond in a variety of ways, but what, you know, if, if there's positive response, you say, oh, good, <laughs> sort of relief, and, and um, mm. yeah. Mm. Um, I mean, high-key colour, I suppose, inevitably um, is linked with um, mood or, mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. cheerfulness, but um, I, when I was teaching, I, I always used to say to students, you know, colour... It, I mean, the colours have names on the tubes and on the pots, like red or blue or you know, a whole range of, of blues, a whole range of reds. But um, when you're painting, you don't think in words. You're thinking in a kind of precision of relationship. And um, 
and, and I, I'm never sort of chasing after effects, mm -hmm. you know, like I think, or, or, or anything cosmetic in a way. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really, it's not science, but it, it's, it is structuring. And, mm -hmm. and the slightest difference in a relationship um, can make a huge difference to whether there is any uh, uh, luminosity beginning to happen. Mm. Of course, when there's more than one colour, it gets it, as the, as there are more and more colours, that gets more and more complicated mm. um, because it's kind of shifting all the time. Um, so th this thing about colours not having names, <laughs> um, that they don't have names when I'm painting, you know, they do mm -hmm. later for the sake of conversation, really, like, you know, the yellow circle or the, or the, or the red shape there. Um, so um, the, the nuances, the, the, the slight shifts um, make a big difference. The brightness um, is maybe what I happen to be interested in at the moment, but colour can be very... Um, Tertiary colour, greys, um, mm. blacks, um, it's all colour. <laughs> mm. mm. um. Well, I, I mean, I, often I suppose, thinking about the great colourists in the history of art or whatever, I always, I, I do associate your work a bit with Matisse, not just in that bold colour, but also in this incredible kind of humanity and positivity of spirit. You know, he was such a, a, a positive... Uh, individual as well, I think, in his impact as well. Um, well, that's lovely to hear that. Um, <laughs> um, but I, th I, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I mean, once we were talking, Rebecca, you said, you know, what, what, what about influences? And um, <coughs> that really gives one pause because when, when you get to my age, there have been so many. <laughs> it's a bit like, where, where do you start? Um, but Matisse is uh, abiding, an abiding um, influence. Um, uh, Love, <laughs> um, so I, I sort of, I think I, I was introduced to him with with great luck actually uh, uh, when I was, what seems to me now very, very young, when I was at school. Um, so this was um, a, a grammar school which tended to have a rather sort of academic uh, tendency, and the the um, there were two of us doing art. It wasn't encouraged to do art, um, but there this were two of us. This is in Wales. This is in North Wales. Yes, yes. This particular school. I, we, we moved around a lot as a family, but this particular school was in Clandidno, and um, so the, the two of us were in the art art school art um, art um, sorry art room we called it, mm. um, and um, the two years of of the A level course. There, the first year. Um, was um, Mr. Clayton Jones, who was very elderly and um, wore marvellous um, three-piece suit and tweeds. He was sort of very formal and uh, lovely. And, but he would, he would sort of go anywhere that we wanted, we being this friend, Jackie and me. So once we, I think one of us found a Matisse um, postcard or book and he said yes let, let's look into him we look into him <laughs> and and we did <laughs> and then and then amazingly we found Jackson Pollock and he said yes I've never heard of him but let's look into him <laughs> <laughs> so this was 1960 um, and then he retired and we wondered what on earth we would do without him um, but the 
his successor was the opposite. He was straight out of university fine art department, Newcastle. So young, dashing, <laughs> and um, and he was great too. And 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 uh, anyway, he said after a while, you know, you, had you thought of going on to you know art school? And, and um, I think I was destined to, to, for English literature. That's mm. what you know, my other subject that I really liked. And um, so I thought, it would be marvellous to, to, go to go to art school. But my parents didn't know anything about art schools. I think they were horrified at the idea, you know, kind of fantasising about what went on in art schools. But Especially so, in the 1960s. Uh, yeah, yes, <laughs> just beginning. Just yeah. beginning, yeah. <laughs> News was just coming in. And um, so he said, I think you'd really like Newcastle. So mm -hmm. there were only three university departments um, that did fine art in, in those days. Um, and Leeds and Newcastle and Reading. So I, I applied, and as soon as I got to Newcastle, I fell in love with the city. I just loved it. And mm. so, that, that, so that's where I, I went to study. And I was really lucky because um, Victor Pasmore had, had just left. He and Richard Hamilton had um, devised this basic course, which was kind of based around the one that Harry Thubrin had started in Leeds, which was very new at the time, very new way of teaching art. Mm. And um, now Richard Hamilton was kind of in charge of that first year. So he, when, when we all arrived in the first year, he was in New York, which seemed like as far away as the moon to us then. And he was at Andy Warhol's factory and doing this and that and so very glamorous um, and then he arrived and the course was um, it was kind of it, it was sort of cerebral in a way mm -hmm. I can't remember what I started talking about here. well you were just no you were talking about going to, to, to Newcastle I suppose about influences like, oh, really um, and about the the influences past and present yes really that's or. right thank you <laughs> and so um, so what was, it, what was really great good fortune was that um, there was what Richard Hamilton brought to it, which was utterly contemporary. Mm. Um, but also that Rafe Holland taught art history. I think he was probably a court old man and um, very sort of distinguished knowledge of 18th century drawing, all sorts of the history of mm -hmm. painting. So we had the, the Hatton Gallery there, which is still there. Mm -hmm. um, and in my first term there, I think, there was um, a Jasper Johns show, which was organised, I guess, through, through Hamilton, and also um, some beautiful drawings, uh, 18th century drawings. And, and there was one series of drawings that I saw there um, by Domenico Tiepolo, which is who I wrote my thesis on eventually. Mm. And so um, this combination of um, art that's made now this minute <laughs> and um, other kinds of art, mm. it, 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 was all, it was all there for the taking and sort of one took it in, you know, in the same breath or the same mm. kind of meal. <laughs> mm. um, and I, and I've, always, um, I've always felt sort of um, 
nourished by that. Um, it, sounds, it sounds incredibly cosmopolitan for the north of England in the, in it, the 1960s. And I say that as someone from not London-centric myself. It was. It well, was a, Newcastle itself mm. had a big effect on me, just mm. the city and the people and Northumberland. Um, and as I say, the, the sort of ambience that Richard Hamilton sort of set up, because he brought up to give us um, projects, we used to call them two-week projects, mm. um, his, um, the people, the artists that he knew who weren't local but lived in the, So we would have this mix. Um, mm. Remember um, Richard Smith coming up, Dick Smith, and Palozzi, mm. lots and lots of different people. Fantastic. And I suppose, I mean, maybe I'm asking in a, because it's something that we're perhaps looking at a bit more now. Um, there are a lot of men involved, male teachers, male artists, male influencers. But I know there were women who had an impact as well at that period. Did, did it feel like women were, were sort of battling still a bit as the outsider at that period? Was there more acceptance? Well, it's quite difficult to sort of remember what, what, what mm. I noticed or felt or whether it was just sort of the norm. But certainly there were hardly any female <coughs> teachers, mm. tutors in art schools. And even when I left and started teaching myself, I was mm. often the only woman in the staff room. Mm. Uh, and gradually, it, of course, and thankfully, quite rightly, it changed until in the last week at Chelsea, which is where I did my last teaching um, thing. Um, I was in the staff room. I was a senior lecturer, and Clyde Hopkins, the late, lovely Clyde Hopkins, was the head of painting. And uh, he was sitting at his desk, and the, the part timers were coming in one by one. And I looked around, and there were eight women <laughs> and Clyde. And uh, I, so this was the reverse of <laughs> how I'd started out. Mm. And that, I pointed this out, and we all sort of cheered. <laughs> mm. and, and Clyde, who was very, um, was a feminist, um, and, and he, he smiled you know, mm. very warmly. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of my own experience of meeting um, women artists, um, so there was a, a a very, very gifted teacher at Newcastle, uh, Rita Donner, um, who was eventually the wife of, of Richard Hamilton. Mm. Um, she was a um, very sensitive uh, teacher. And um, we had visitors like Sandra Blow, I remember coming up. And uh, mm -hmm. so I would, I would have been put on her list, you know, because mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, she was an abstract painter. There weren't that many abstract painters on, uh, I mean, students either. And so that was memorable. I, mm. I remember her very well. And Gillian um, didn't ever come up to teach us there, but I, I, would, I came across her when I'd moved down back to London. Um, well, to London, not back to London. Um, mm. And um, so she was a very important role model mm. um, as a painter, a mm. powerful painter. There's a huge painting of hers in, in, the, in the fair. I mm. think it's an, on Marlborough stand. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and also she was the first ever head of painting, woman head of painting, female. Mm. So, and um, Prunella Clough, I liked her work a lot and would bump into her sometimes. 
And I, I, I won an award once that was given to um, people who taught part-time um, uh, painters, the Lawn Award, it was called, it was mm. when I was at Chelsea. And um, it was anonymous. Um, and I was so grateful to whoever this anonymous person was who donated this prize. And then I found out after she died that it, she, it was her donation. Oh. So she, she, she'd put up the funds for every mm -hmm. year one artist to have a, a break from teaching for... How lovely. Yes, fantastic yes. thing to do. That is, yes. isn't it? Yeah. To give that space, I suppose. Exactly, um, yeah. And so from Wales to Newcastle, just to recap on this, from Newcastle you went to Reading, actually, as a postgrad, didn't you? Yes. And then you hit London. In the, I, I went back to the northeast oh, right, okay. for, for, for two years. Okay. I didn't know what I was going to do. <laughs> None of us seemed to know what we were going to do after we'd finished on the... So I wrote off for lots of jobs, uh, mm. teaching jobs, art school mm. jobs, and uh, amazingly to me, got one in Sunderland, which meant I could go back, I lived in Newcastle and sort of, I think it was two, three days a week, mm. and um, so I was there for two years, uh, but then almost on an impulse actually, I decided I should be in London, <laughs> I think it was I'm not sure why, really. I think maybe there was more art to see there. Mm. I think that's what it was. Mm. And that um, I needed a change. So I went down to London um, and stayed in a <coughs> tiny, tiny room in a friend's flat for a little while. And um, we, we, were, um, we were having a drink in the pub one night with some friends, and one of these people who I didn't know said that he was leaving a job... Um, a um, life drawing job in um, John Cass School of Art and I thought oh right <laughs> so and I was telling you the other day mm. that the you know looking back the cheek of it I just went along there no appointment or anything <laughs> I just it was that kind of give us a job line I didn't quite say that but I just said something like I hear you've you know got to have a vacancy <laughs> And I think the chap said, um, how, how do you know? <laughs> I just heard. And um, so he sort of interviewed me after a fashion and, um, and then said, what, 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 what do you really want to do here? And I said, well, I'd, I'd really like to do um, maybe foundation teaching. Um, and um, he said, all right, then. We, we've got a vacancy for that, too. <laughs> so that was my first teaching job, a couple of days a week on foundation. And I sort of... Uh, well, you just pass it on, you know, whatever you know, and structure courses uh, sort of based on what you'd got a lot out of yourself. And, mm. and then I sort of knew that I needed to um, earn a living. So, um, what, so one job... In those days, there was a lot of part-time teaching. Alas, no more. <clears throat> and... Um, so many of us would sort of, we, we, we travelled the country, um, mm. you know, if it was Wednesday, it was Paddington because we were going to somewhere, and if it was Thursday, it was, it was Waterloo. And um, it, it, was, it, was, um, it was very different than the way art schools were structured. Um, but, um, but you've always sort of carved out that space for your own practice, yes, didn't you? Exactly. Um, that that was um, that seemed instinctively mm. really important that I would only 
do two days a week doing that. Mm -hmm. And in those days, it was enough to have a studio and live on. I'm not sure that it would be these days. Mm -hmm. um, and then eventually I was offered a, what, what somebody would call a proper job, which was at Chelsea. And I, I did that. We may have the to rain again. speak a bit louder. <laughs> speak a bit or louder. We'll, yeah. um, and, um, uh, yeah, but, but, you know, promised myself that I wouldn't take on a full-time job so that the studio was always the, mm. the, the centre of everything. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think your commitment to art education has actually been remarkable. You've been painting for a good 60 years, shall we say, and, and all of that time there's been this commitment to your own practice but also to developing the practice of others, to teaching and then eventually mentoring as well. It's a, an area that where I, I feel, um, and this may resonate with some of you in the audience, where artists now almost have to take a, a, a kind of cultural leadership role in, in advocating for art education. Yes, yeah. Um, um, well, um, as I think I said, I'm a baby boomer and, and um, we were the lucky ones. Um, we had the NHS, we had free education, university education, grants to go to university, even living grants. I, I was actually given a grant to go to um, Venice to study for my thesis. I'm unbelievable now. Mm. And uh, we were saying the other day, we, we thought it was for everybody, for always. We, we really did. And, um, uh, you know, when it slowly dawned on us over the recent years that this wasn't the case, um, I think those of us who did that part-time teaching that I was saying, you know, traveling the country, it, um, we became almost a sort of ad hoc community, you know, on trains and in art schools and so on, and you made new friends that way. Um, and even if we told ourselves at the very beginning that we were doing it to pay the rent, you quite quickly develop a vocation for it. Mm. Uh, I don't think anybody carries on with it unless they do. Mm. And um, I think even the most unlikely people develop this vocation and find a way of working at it. And so... Um, you've, you mean, you've... So, sorry to... No, I, I was just thinking through, from um, something I've just thought of, actually, that um, that goes for studios, too, the communities <coughs> that form in when groups of artists get together, if they have a, a you know, there's a, a, an industrial building, like an, an old factory, that becomes um, studios for anything from six to 60 to hundreds of people. Um, I'm involved in a, a charity that provides studios, and this is in Deptford, in, in South London. And uh, quite a few of us ha had a very idyllic ramshackle set of studios in Greenwich for 20-odd years. And then, uh, I don't know how we managed to stay there for so long in such a desirable area. Um, <laughs> my goodness, here we go. <laughs> You've got your brollies. <laughs> so, um, we, so we, anyway, we found this building in Deptford and there are 44 artists there. 
and um, it's a charity with trustees. And I think some of us from the beginning, you know, we were more interested in finding a place for studios. But because we're a charity um, that has an educational aim, the same kind of vocation sort of um, developed. And now we're, we're really um, proud of, of, of what we do. We, we have a gallery there that's not for us, it's for, um, I mean, a committee of artists selects um, programs for mm -hmm. shows. And, uh, but we've re we recently had a mentoring scheme. In fact, the first year has just come to a, an end and the second year is about to start. And two of the artists, I was one of them this last year, um, mentor two emerging artists, it doesn't matter how old they are, that they're, you know, that they're in between finishing an education and moving on into mm -hmm. professional practice. And so we give them at the studios a free studio for one year and the mentoring that we as individuals, but really the whole community offers. And, and, um, and so when I was instrumental in trying to, I'm not a fundraiser, but by accident, I found somebody <laughs> who was prepared to um, cough up for this. And um, he said, um, well, we were talking about what mentoring is, and it, you know, it means many things to different people, but um, what it, we knew it wasn't teaching. Mm. And, and then he came up with the, that lovely phrase, um, I, I think it's in the Alan Bennett play, um, that it's pass it on. <laughs> you just have to pass it on. <laughs> and um, I thought that, I think that's a, a lovely um, idea. And actually, that there's a, a display here at the fair um, in its advanced graphics uh, store, mm -hmm. which is dedicated to Bert Irving, who I'm sure many of you know his work. Um, and um, he was, uh, he and his wife Betty, I think it's their 100th anniversary birthday this year. Yeah, both of them must be the same age, were born the same age. And um, he, he was so generous as mm. a senior artist to younger artists, as were many of that generation. I've mentioned Gillian Ayres and mm -hmm. people like John Hoyland. That they, they came to our openings, this is when we were very young artists, and um, you know, engaged us in helpful conversations. And I was very touched actually to see, um, I walked in yesterday to have a look around and, and it, it's a, very beautiful display there, and I just remembered um, Bert's generosity. That's yeah, lovely. so that's a pass, another that's version another of passing pass on. Another pass it on. Yeah. Well, I also remind the audience where to find that this evening if they go back out into um, the fair. It's it's in this. I don't know the number or the location, mm. but it will be on your maps. It's Advanced Graphics advanced is graphics. the name of the gallery that, that represents him. And actually, um, something very nice happened recently. Uh, a few months ago, um, I was contacted by um, uh, somebody I didn't know uh, uh, who lives up, up in Harrogate. Um, who, he's quite young um, uh, uh, to be a collector. Well, I mean, you can be a collector at any age, but, but um, for the size of his collection and the sort, of, the, the sort of quality of it. And he had begun to collect abstract painting from around the... 70s, 80s, 90s, 
And um, he moved to Harrogate and offered it to the gallery there mm. called the Mercer Gallery, mm. which is a big, beautiful sort of Victorian space. And they'd said, eventually they'd said, yes, let's do it. And so I went up to see this, because he has some of my very early work that mm -hmm. I hadn't seen since I'd painted it and it had gone off to... I was with a gallery when I was um, much younger, who they don't exist anymore, Nicola Jacobs in Cork Street, for anybody old enough to remember those days. And... Um, so I think they'd gone into one of my first shows and must have mm. been sold, and then I think perhaps he'd bought them from somebody. And um, so I was seeing these paintings that, that I'd made in 1979, 1981, um, and I hadn't seen them since. It was, but also there were some wonderful of Burt's paintings, Gillian, I was next to Gillian Ayres, John Hoyland. So there are 14 of us in, mm. in this show. 12 or 14, um, only four of us still alive. <laughs> so, <laughs> but the, the paintings are all from that period. Quite lovely. And that's yeah. still on in Harrogate, isn't it? Is, it is till it? early September, I think, <clears throat> September lovely. the 4th, if anybody's yes. in Yorkshire. <laughs> and the flags yeah. are flying on Bond Street, and you've got work in the summer exhibitions. Yes, that's right. Um, that's lovely. I'm, I'm conscious, Mally, although oh, yes. there's lots we can chat it's about. Time. I'm conscious of time, and I'd love to give um, some of our listeners the opportunity to ask you a question if, course, if they had yeah. a question or a thought or comment there's one at the back there hi victoria actually yes look there we are there's victoria hang on a second if you just we'll one minute the mic will give you a microphone yeah. <clears throat> thanks mariana Uh, hi, Rebecca, and uh, you know I'm a big fan of RA and what you're doing and uh, um, all the projects when you take art out uh, to the streets uh, outside of the museum walls and I still remember that um, amazing uh, project with Vanessa Jackson. Mm. And uh, I would just like to ask this question to Molly. How do you feel seeing your artworks um, outside of the museum walls? Is it really different? Thrilled. <laughs> um, I, I didn't know how I'd feel. You know, as I said um, at the beginning, I, I wasn't sure until I actually saw it, you know, how it would look. So that was the, a, a very testing moment. Um, I, I knew I was happy with the works that were that big in my studio, paint on paper, the medium I'm used to. Um, I knew they'd been photographed very well. I didn't know. I didn't know what they'd look like when they were up there, because um, they're high. So, in, if, if you see them in, in, on the floor, they're much bigger <laughs> than they look up there, twelve foot by six. So scale. Mm. So I was thrilled that that what I hoped would happen was happening, but I didn't know until I saw them. <laughs> I think it's a great idea to bring. Bring it out. Yeah. We've got two questions. You, you may. I'm sorry, Mary. Mariana oh, here is. That's so nice of you. Thank Marie, you. Marie, first of all, and then Sumi. Um, I can circulate the mic no, afterwards. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Mali, my question is about creativity. Um, 
And I was thinking about Turner and his use of color. And we know that we, with time, with the decades, instead of narrowing down his uh, palette of colors, he broadened it tremendously. And I wanted to know, as an artist, how have you pushed your creativity and your use of color and forms as you went? Um, that's, that's quite a big question um, to think about. Um, I mean, when I'm in the studio, um, it feels almost a sort of, um, it's a job, <laughs> it's work. <laughs> um, and um, I sort of get on with it. And so that means um, trying things out that, that um, are of interest currently to me, the last work or the last few works. Um, and the, the things I try out might not work. Um, they get abandoned or uh, put away or torn up. Or, and then something surprises me or gives me something that I'm interested to see. Um, I think about painting a lot when I'm not painting. Um, and that might be to do with um, uh, what, I'm, what I'm reading, what I'm seeing. I, I, I mean, seeing, you know, I travel to see art. Um, and, um, it, you know, it ha some of it has a very visceral effect on me. Um, I, I talk about um, if something re really moves me, um, I, I, it, my face tingles. <laughs> it's kind of very physical. Um, it's out of my control. You know, it's kind of involuntary. It's got, so it's very, um, as I say, visceral. Mm. But I also, I, I'm interested in the, um, perhaps you'd call it the intellectual side of, of the study of of the practice of painting, painting. And I'm positive that this feeds in to the days in the studio when I think I'm not thinking. <laughs> because by now it's, it, you know, you absorb being moved or thinking or debating. You know, it's, it, it's not conscious. Well, it, you know, it, it comes in and out of consciousness. So, um, to answer, to try to answer your question more, more directly, um, I don't try to um, expand my creativity. I, I just um, hope it's happening. <laughs> and, and, and I think the reason um, I, may, I might not use the word creativity for myself, you, you, I use it in conversation, but I don't think of me being creative. I think of me painting. <laughs> um, and... Um, um, I've lost my track. Um, Developing, expanding. Yeah, it's, it's sort of what, you know, it, you kind of understand things with hindsight. You think, oh, yeah. that's why I did that. Yeah. Um, that, you know, that, oh, that makes sense now. <laughs> and uh, so a lot of the in-the-moment aspect of that is being surprised, you know, um, which I always hope you always hope for that surprise. Um, there's, there's a lot that's rather mundane in uh, preparation of grounds. And then, and then a lot that's nerve-wracking because you, I might have been working on a... a especially nerve-wracking if it's a big painting, like, like there's one in the 
summer exhibition at the moment, um, and it has taken ages. And, and I know that if I, this thing I'm about to put on there <laughs> will ruin it or blow the whole thing. You know? mm-hmm. um, Little ones that kind of, I care about them, but it's not quite the pain of losing a, a big one. Um, so, um, does that help? I don't mm. know. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Thank you. Um, I think we had one, do we have, oh, there we are, Denise um, over there. Hello, Mally. Um, as one Welsh woman to another, ah, <laughs> hello. I'm just, I was very interested in. Um, in your work and the kind of talking of hindsight and to what extent your Welsh childhood had any kind of uh, uh, specific influence on you. And it strikes me actually, when I'm looking at your work, the kind of geometric brushstrokes very much brings to mind, and I don't mean to sound parochial here, but actually the kind of Welsh quilting and the colours, and, and I'm just wondering, you know, what ha, has it influenced you to some extent, or is it something that just... Well, that's interesting, I wonder. Um, uh, this, this, too long, this is too long a story to start now, but the, the, the end of the story is my finding um, that, that somebody who worked near me in Deptford, um, a wonderful weaver called Eleanor Pritchard, yeah. And, and she and I collaborated for the, some, for the um, Royal Academy on, on a, a blanket of weaving. And um, the, the way we worked out how to collaborate was to just go to each other's studios, workshops, which in, in the same street in Deptford. And um, it, it was, it was marvellous, actually, much more... Um, uh, it, much more exciting and interesting than I thought this project would be uh, because I have lots of pots of paint on shelves and, and every now and again I try and order them you know, in sort of colour ways so I know where to go for the reds and, and she has her yarns in almost exactly the same way <laughs> on, on her shelves and um, we, we, so we began to discuss how in this... Um, pattern that she'd already got and she showed me the weaving happening it was magical this you know that on an old loom the, the warp and the weft and it sort of things and so this thing happening with the weaving um i i explained to her my interest in this thing happening in painting um spatially which is earlier on saying to Rebecca, Rebecca introduced it as color and space the color making light if there's light that emanates, so that's spatial. It's not. It's not a sort of depiction of space, mm. like this person is sitting in front of that. It, it's a kind of moving, abstract space, I suppose you'd call it. And um, so it got more and more intricate. This sort of comparison. I don't know that I'd be influenced from. I remember my grandmother having those beautiful um, Welsh blankets that when I stayed with her. You know, I, and I, I bought one on eBay a few years ago just to remind me of her, and well, just because I wanted one myself. Mm-hmm. And when it arrived in its funny black plastic bag, I took it out and sort of put it round me. It was like mm-hmm. like being in her her bedroom again. Um, but um, I think actually. I was not brought up Welsh speaking. My father was very well, my father didn't speak English until he was about five. 
born at the foot of Snowdon. Um, he acquired very beautiful English eventually, but um, uh, he had a phrase for Welsh when he heard it spoken well, beautiful Welsh, he would say. He's got beautiful Welsh. And um, he explained to me the intricacies of Welsh poetry, the Anglin, um, Canghanedd, few people might know about that. So alliteration, incredibly intricate structuring. And um, he, he knew a lot about it, loved it. And I was fascinated with it, um, although I, I wasn't fluent in Welsh, but it, he, I didn't need to be the way he was telling me about it. And um, so then when, when, I, when I was at school, um, Jared Manley Hopkins was somebody I liked a lot, and he was influenced by Welsh language, uh, poetry, and structures. And then when I was at Newcastle, it was the 60s, so we were all into Zen, everything Zen. And so I read a lot of uh, Zen literature, the haikus, and they are similarly very strict in their structures. So I think, if anything, it's the language that's influenced me rather than any visual artifact. Yeah. Thank you very much. I think we have time for one more. Did you see me had a question? Oh, uh, two questions at least. I know, but I think we're running out of time. And the lady here in the front in the grey shawl has had her hand up oh, for a while. Right for, uh, here. To whom? The, here? Yeah, yeah. There we are. Thank you. Hi, Mary. Beautiful presentation and lovely chat with Rebecca. I was wondering, when you were making these pieces, you're usually more accustomed to a two-dimensional surface, right? But with these, as they are three-dimensional objects with the front and the back and the dorsality, whether you arranged them, did a little sort of scale maquette piece of the rhythm to test the rhythm of the three by 11 repeat motifs happening and weave it from both angles because the street is accessed from both sides and the weaving, I mean, the wiping, all that kind of begs to be both sided, right, double-sided, whether you had tested it? Um, pertinent and, 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 and important. Yeah. Um, so I, I, had a, um, I had a conversation, an email um, exchange uh, with, with Gary Hume, who, who mm -hmm. made them last year, and um, he kindly sent me a photograph from his studio of a little maquette that he'd made. And um, so I thought, oh, maybe I'll do one of those. <laughs> and, um, and then I thought, no, I don't think I will. <laughs> I, it just didn't seem the way I think yeah. somehow. I, I just wanted to imagine it. But a really crucial moment was when I'd made the paintings on paper, that, that big, um, and the, the three that you see in the front row there, that, I mean, they were the ones that I'd made that big. And um, I was working um, with the great staff at the RA, um, and Matt um, Hunt was, is, is a designer there. And uh, we met up, and he, he actually came to my studio, and he said, look, I've done this. And it was... Um, uh, well, it looked like that, actually. I mean, it, it, it was mm -hmm. a mock-up. Uh, I yeah. couldn't have done it. It was on a computer, Photoshop. I'm not mm -hmm. sure how he did it. But he, the photographs of these three paintings, that big, he'd made them look like the flags. And, it was, and that was the 
the moment when I thought, oh, this is, this is going to work yeah. and I can see what might happen here. And so that was when I knew that I wanted the repeats to be random so that the, let's say, the yellow discs would sort of bounce around, you know, <coughs> not, not in too rigid uh, mm -hmm. a system. But, um, and then um, it, it, sort of, it suddenly dawned on me and this was in conversation with Matt. Um, I mean, it, was, it really was dawning on me as I was looking at this mock-up why I'd got so interested in it. I couldn't put it into words before or even thoughts. Mm. So it was seeing it made me understand that the things I'm really interested in painting, I mean, the way I paint and my painting, is what I'm calling pictorial space which comes, as I've often said, for me, from colour relationships which could make luminosity, which could make space, and what I call the dance of that, the way the eye dances in and out and around. And I love that in any painting, whether it's Titian, Matisse, um, Indian miniatures, all the, anything that I've ever fallen in love with. And so the way you... You're, you're taken in, if you catch sight of something that invites you, you follow the invitation in, and then you could be moving around forever in that. So seeing these up there, moving through the street, it, and the light would be in the light of day, which is always different, I thought, well, these are the things I'm interested in painting, and now here they are... Mm. Um, sort of exploded in a way and, and so at that point it, w it was when I knew that I was um, thrilled to be doing this <laughs> Oh it's lovely I'm sorry that's all we do have time for okay. Mally and I know there were some questions that are still out there and, and maybe, maybe people Well maybe can, we could sit outside can, for a little bit and have a quick <laughs> question but I just wanted chat. to yeah. thank you for your time Well Rebecca tonight. thank you Thank you for taking this time <laughs> Um, thank you. Thank you. And thank you for for all of what you do. I think we're we're all often in awe of people who spend a lifetime making things for us to look at well, and you, appreciate. You, you've no idea about. how nice it is to um, to hear that. Well, to it's hear a that. That's <laughs> very nice and nice talking to you. And thank you all of you for being such a an appreciative audience. Yes, okay. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.